love to see that number grow to a lot. There's a lot of kids in here this morning. We'd love to see it grow to a substantially larger group of kids, but y'all did a wonderful job this morning, kids, and look forward to seeing Nicole here in just a bit uh, do her special as well, and that's going to be a, a great blessing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started this morning. Father God, it is our honor, it is our pleasure as we come approaching another year. Father, it is a true delight to see your people this morning, to have the fellowship, Lord, that we will have today and afterward. And we pray that that would be honoring to you. We come understanding that, Lord, Jesus is the reason for the season And I pray this morning as we open up your word that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and God, that your spirit would begin to transform the hearts of your people. And Father, many times as I preach, I don't want to be a preacher that just delivers information, but God, I want to be a preacher that calls people to transformation, messages, Lord, that would change the hearts of your people, and I know that I can do that not by myself, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning that you would fill me and empower me, that you might be honored and glorified. We pray that you would renew our spirits this morning as we come into a season of joy, a season of peace, and a season, Lord, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you do these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's been a journey over the last few weeks as we've looked at different aspects of Advent. And if you, don't, if you weren't here, maybe you don't remember. Uh, just a quick reminder that Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, and it means coming. And so for the last three weeks, we've looked at, at hope, we've looked at joy, we've talked about peace. And if you remember... In the message on hope, we saw that our true hope comes from Jesus Christ. We discussed how in our day and age as well as their day and age, the Jewish people were looking for a false hope. They had a false hope in a Messiah and that would, which would come about on a white horse with a sword that would bring in victory, that would bring them deliverance from the Roman oppression in which they were in. We talked about how people today in our culture, in our society, is still creating for themselves maybe a false hope. Maybe their hope is laid upon a foundation in which they can live a good enough life in in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe they can give enough money. Maybe they can give to the poor. Maybe they can follow enough rules in which God will deliver them into eternal life with Himself. And based upon that, they're building their foundation on a false hope. Because we know that only a hope that is founded in the work of Jesus Christ could be sufficient. We also looked at peace a couple weeks ago and noticed that that Christ was going to be the one that would bring about peace into into this world. But it was a different peace in which this world had to offer. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, he said. And We talked about how true peace comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And that's why there in Philippians 
chapter 4, verse 21, he says, for, for me to live, Paul says, for me to live is for Christ and to die is gain. Another way of saying that is for me, living means living for Christ and die means it's even better. Paul understood what it was to have this peace that surpasses all understanding that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ. If you recall last week, we looked at joy. And we asked the question, where is it that you and I find our joy? John 15, chapter 11, we said that, uh, as we looked at that, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We saw that in the context of the whole of chapter 15 was rooted in this word abiding, being connected to, staying attached to, not leaving from. Okay, and so we saw that this, as we abide in Jesus Christ, is where we maintain, where we find, where we withhold, where we have our joy. And all of these messages are put together in order as preparation for the coming of Messiah, in which we celebrate on December 25th, Christmas Day. With that quick backdrop of what we've studied over the last few weeks, today we're going to finish up our message on Advent with the word love. With the word love as we'll be looking at love, because really, Christmas is rooted in love. The culture, yes, they can make whatever they want out of the Christmas. That's their choice. But within the very true meaning of Christmas, the foundation of it is rooted in love. If you will, turn with me to your text this morning, found in John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen, And I'll be reading from the New American Standard and you don't have your Bible this morning, that's okay. I've built some slides to, to help you with that. But uh, if you do have your Bible, I, I believe it will be beneficial to you to turn there. John three sixteen. Now, this is one of the most memorized verses of the Bible. We teach it to our children. We hide it in our hearts. We memorize it. We hold fast to it for those that are in Jesus Christ because it is a, a, a passage that brings hope to the world in which we live. This one verse is really the central theme of God's ultimate purpose from the Old Testament and all the way into the New Testament of Scripture, in which we see this progress of redemption, in which we see God from beginning in Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, beginning the process of redemption, restoring man back to a right relationship with God. And so let us read this morning, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now this passage is short, it's to the point, and it offers the greatest act of love that you and I have ever seen in the world today. There are five things that I would like for you to consider about this love as we break it down, this passage, piece by piece. I would like for us to look at five points. Number one, 
I want us to see the author of love. Secondly, I would like us to look at the character of love. Thirdly, the object of love. Fifthly, the gift of love. And lastly, the purpose of this love. And I hope that as we look through these, these five points will help begin to bring light to the importance of this passage and show the necessity of it as well for even all of us this morning. So let us begin by observing the author of love. This passage begins with, For God so loved the world. Notice that it's God. Notice that it's God who's doing the loving. We can't really take John 3.16 and just pull it out of its context. I think it's important that we understand the whole context. Because really it's wrapped within the first, the first verses, the first 13 verses of John chapter 3. And in these first few verses we find that Jesus is dealing with a man by the name of Nicodemus. For Nicodemus, it was a teacher of Israel. And he had noticed that the fact that Jesus Christ was someone special. He noticed that he was someone sent by God. That's what he says in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus begins the process of explaining to this Pharisee, this leader of leaders of this time, this teacher of Israel, that, listen, one cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless he is first born again. Nicodemus doesn't grasp it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the idea of being born again, being that he's already been born once. And so Jesus goes on to explain to him just how it is that that one is born of flesh and one is born of the Spirit. And really, what these verses boil down to is that what we find proceeding in John chapter 3, verse 16. And the fact is that unless God sends His Son into the world, Nicodemus, people are going to be in big trouble. Without this, one cannot be born of the Spirit. And so Jesus compares His purpose to that of Moses' purpose As we find in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Do you recall that passage of the Old Testament that we find in the book of Numbers? Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you're not familiar with it. But here in Numbers 21, starting in verse 7, it reads this. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and and you. Intercede with the Lord. That's what they did. A lot of times the people of Israel, they would be disobedient to God. They wouldn't listen to God. Then they go to Moses and say, Moses, Moses, please pray for Please intercede on our behalf before God. And that's what he does. He intercedes on their behalf. And he asked him to intercede to the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. 
Set it on a pole and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus is simply saying this. In the same way, Nicodemus, that these men of old were saved by looking up to that bronze serpent. Why? Because that's the way God made it to be. These men had been bitten by poisonous stakes. They were on the verge of death. And God said, Moses, if you build this stake, this pole, and you put a bronze serpent in it, and they have the faith to look on it and believe, they'll be saved. And that's what they were doing. And Jesus is saying, just as they were saved by looking upon this bronze serpent, so Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross of, of Calvary. And those who look upon Jesus Christ, believe on Jesus Christ, the Bible says they will be saved. Nicodemus was in need of this salvation. Jesus was simply saying that he was and will always be the way of salvation, the author of salvation. But let us not lose focus to the fact that this is the author of love, God. You understand that God was the one that showed up that showed you and me love by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Many will say, you know, as I meet with them, what, what, on a scale from zero to 100, zero being absolutely unsure, 100% being absolutely sure, if you were to die today or Christ were to come back, how sure would you go to heaven? They say, well, I'm 100%. Well, how do you know that you'd go to heaven if, if you were to stand before God? And God said, why should I let you in? They say, well, I love you, God. You'd be amazed at how many times I hear that. Because John chapter 14 says, If you love me, you keep my commandments. And I don't know about you, but I don't keep all the commandments. Therefore, the love that I think I have for God maybe ain't as love as I think it is. But God, God showed us love. John chapter 14 says, You love me, you keep my commandments. It's the God of creation. It's the God that created man, the heavens and the earth, as we've been looking at in Sunday school, that understood that you and me and every human on this earth cannot keep the law of God. He understands that you, this upcoming year, guess going to what? You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. Because we're wrapped up in this body in which we call flesh, which is filled with sin. God loves you enough to send Jesus Christ that he might make a way in which you can be delivered from that. That's true love. This is the author of love. John 1, 1 John 4, 9 says, In this is love. This, in this, the love of God was made manifest or was made obvious among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through Him. Hear me out this morning. The God that created the universe, the God that created the stars, the planets, human life, I want you to understand, He is the author of love. He is the one who loves you and loves me, loves our children, and even loves the worst of sinners, people such as Paul. 
all sinners, and the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. See, we can't begin to talk about the love of God until we begin to understand where we are. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That means none of us. In all of our good deeds, everything we do that we think is covered with perfection, let me understand, is covered with sin. And even our righteous deeds, even our greatest deeds, Jesus says, are like filthy rags. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may compare your life to the Pope. You may compare your life to Mother Teresa. But the reality is, is when you start stacking them up, they may be here, you may be here, but Jesus Christ is at the roof. And the Bible says we've all fallen short of that glory. And no matter how much we try, no matter how much we want to, we can't reach God unless He first comes down and helps us. We can't grasp the author of love until we understand that we have offended the author of love. And this morning I pray that you can get this before we move on to the goodness of this message. Because sin entered through one man, Adam, and because Adam sinned, it entered in all men. And therefore we have a problem. We've been stained. We've been separated from God. God created us in that garden to be at unity with God, to have that relationship. But because of sin, man has been separated. And now man's ability, all they're trying to do their whole life is to reach God and to find God. And they want to know, how can I get saved? How can I reach God? And so they try it through good works. They try it through efforts. They try it through going to church. They even try it through reading the Bible. But the reality is that all the Bible says falls short of the glory of God. God needs us to be perfect. But how can you... And I be perfect apart from Christ. We can't. We can't be. And so we see that it's from God the author, sending God the Son into the world in the form of this child in which we celebrate on Christmas is the reason for the season. God didn't owe us anything, but because the author of love loves and cares for every soul he made away. And so while we see the author of love, I want you to see that we see the character of love as well. Notice here it is, for God so loved the world. This simple word so brings this passage to life. The tense used in the original is in the aorist tense. In the original Greek it's used in the aorist tense. It shows God's love in action, God's love in movement. It shows God in heaven reaching into sinful, broken, paralytic humanity, unable to make our own way to God. And therefore we see the character of God in the fact that God so loved the world. He loved you and me so much that he acted in love in a way that has never been seen before by sending His very own Son. Many of you this morning have children. And this verse never popped out to me until I beheld my first child. And then I began to understand the love that God had for humanity when He delivered His own Son to die on Calvary's cross. It was His own Son. That's how much He loved you and me in the world. He loved us so much 
He showed us the character of love by sending Jesus. You see, if there's one character this morning that the people of God and people that are not of God want to hold on to is the attribute of love. Because no matter where we are in humanity, all of us want to be loved. We all want to have acceptance. We all want to have that love in which God offers. For a very good purpose, we hold tight to the love of God. Because when we understand that we are unable, we're incapable, we're unqualified, God says, listen, I got your back. This morning you may be be here and you've had a rough year. Maybe financially you've been kicked. Maybe you've struggled in your marriage. Maybe you've had difficulties here and there. Who knows where? But I want you to understand, listen, this morning, God's got your back. The question is, who are you looking to to solve the problem? Who is it that you find this love from? Because God offers, the author of love offers you this love, this character of love that shows that he loves you so much. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Paul solved that for us. He said, I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priest, I had many of them whipped in the synagogue to try to get them to curse Christ. He said, I was so violently opposed in the meeting. I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. This man was a Christ Christian beater. He said, I even cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Paul, the man who wrote three quarters of the Bible, was a Christian murderer. Yet we see the character of God's love. And we see the author of God's love as he shone down him that day on the road to Damascus. We've seen the author of love, which is God. We've seen the character of love, which hold no account. And now let us look at the object of love. Let us now pinpoint the object of the authors and character of love. John says, for God so loved the world. Now, theologically, listen, this this seems pretty basic when you read it. But theologically, my Calvinist buddies find problems here. Because while they may offer up salvation only to the elect, God says that he loved the world. Now, was he talking about the trees and the dirt and the planet? Or was we talking about in context every single soul, every single person which lives in the world? That's what he was talking about. That's the context. The author of love is God. And the reality is, is God loves the world, he says. And for God to choose this person over this person would be a flawed love. It wouldn't make sense to us. He's the author of love. He has the character of love. And his love is indiscriminate. The object of love is every single person in the world that's lived and that will ever live, which includes, I want you to understand, me and you. And all of your children, and your children's children, and their children, and probably won't ever get to see their children. But God loves the world. One writer expressed it this way, the term world, as here used, most means mankind. 
which through sin laden, exposed to the judgment and need of salvation, is still the object of his care. God's image is still to, to a degree reflected in the children of men. Mankind is like a mirror. Originally this mirror was, was very beautiful, a work of art, but through time, through no fault of the maker, it has become horribly blurred. Its creator, however, still recognizes his own work. God loves his creation. He loves all of his people. In God's selection of salvation, I want you to understand, is sufficient for the entire world. But listen, this morning you need to grasp that it's only efficient to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, the author of love made it possible for all to receive the free gift of salvation. But just like any gift, you must receive it. Just think about Christmas morning. You know, as, at my house, we have presents under the tree. There's some presents up here under the tree. Just imagine Christmas morning, waking up, going to that tree. And I walk down here. And I grab one of these gifts. I don't know whose gift this. is. I'm going to borrow it for a minute, though. And I tell you, I've got you a gift. What do you have to do? What, sweetheart, what do you have to do? I, I've got a gift for you. What do you have to do? You ha- grab it. So you have to take it. And so, so, can I have my gift back? Thank you. <laughs> so what my point is, is this. God can offer you the greatest gift in the world. He can say, hey, listen, I've made a way. I've given you the opportunity. I've given you everything and the ability to do it. Now you lack one thing. You must take it. You must receive it. You can reject it if you want. But listen, every single person in this room and in churches all across the world today are offered a free gift. But it is up to the individual to have a responsibility of receiving that free gift. God's made the way. He's wrapped the gift. We just have to accept the gift. You see, 2 Peter 3, 9 informs of this this very same idea that the object of love is all of mankind. Peter says, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This morning we were talking about how wonderful it would be if Jesus Christ would just come back and deliver us from all of this oppression in which we live in this world today. But but think, think back. See, 2001, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. What if He had come back in 2000? I wouldn't have made it. So so while we we, we desire for Jesus Christ to come back, I want you to understand that God's not slow on His promise, but He's being patient toward you, wishing that none would perish. But while that is true, there will come a time when it will be too late, when the door will be closed, when there will be no more opportunities to receive the gift that's offered to you. 
That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't reject the gift of salvation. Don't turn it away anymore. We've seen the author of love, which is God. We've seen the character of love, which, is, which holds no account. We've seen the object of love, which is all of mankind. Now let us look at the gift of love. The verse reads, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. The gift of love is the Son of God, is Jesus Christ. It's whom we celebrate on Christmas. It's whom we depend upon for eternal life. There have been many gifts that you and I have received, but the gift of God, I want you to understand, is eternal. All the emphasis on the astounding greatness of this gift for this reason, and the clause, the object, is precedes the verb, and the verb is... He gave must be taken in the sense that He gave unto death the life of His Son, an offering for sin. God gave His Son to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, and to you and to all of the world who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, the Bible says you will be saved. Maybe this morning you're here, you're saying, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm good. I've prayed the prayer. I've even walked the aisle, Pastor. But in reality, let me ask you this morning, where do we find that in the Bible? The Bible says, unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Unless it's Christ who you put your faith in, the Bible says you won't be saved. It's not about a prayer. It's not about a walking aisle. Yes, while those are acts of ways of, of expressing what you've done in faith, those don't save you within themselves. God gave His Son to be lifted up on the cross so that we might be saved. But not all will receive this free gift because not all will accept. But this morning, I want to offer that free gift to you. Some like the darkness more than they like light. Some reject the light because their life is filled with darkness. John 1.11 says He came to His own and those who were his own did not even receive him. When you really think about that, the Savior of the world came to his own people and his own people rejected him. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's not a way. He's not the best way. He's not a great way. He is the only way is what the Bible says. This child, this peace child, this hope child, this child which brings about joy and the child of love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And yet we see this child unable to talk when he come into the world as a form of a baby. God left heaven and became man in the beginning was the word words jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and then in verse 12 we find that the word became flesh and dwelt among us think about that the king 
of heaven left his throne and become a man to live in life in this flesh, to suffer through what you and I suffer through, to live through the same temptations that you see, that you have and that I have. And yet he succeeds so that you might have life and I might have life. Only the Son is perfect, spotless, and sinless, and able to take your place and my place as he went and he bore that cross. Your very sin, my very sin, all of the things that I've done that have offended God were placed on Jesus Christ on Calvary. That's why when he was hanging there, he said, Tetelestai in Aramaic, that means it's finished. It's paid in full. If you came this morning with a bill and you were unable to pay it, maybe you came and said, Hey, Pastor, listen, I've got a light bill. I'm unable to pay it. I really need your help. Well, do you have anybody to help? You know, I got nobody to help. You don't have a family. No, I have no family that's able to help me. And so you bring me that light bill. I take that light bill. The telestai, to telestai, is Jesus hanging across and he said it's finished. The same idea as if I were to write right here, if I can find my pen. If I were to write right here, paid in full. Don't worry. I got you covered. I got your bill covered. You're unable to take care of it, but Jesus Christ on the cross says, I got you taken care of. I paid the price. It's okay. I've done the work. You don't have to do the work. All you have to do is believe in me. That's what he's looking for. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we begin to trust in that Savior, you know what? Our life changes. The Bible says, off with the old and behold, the newest present. And now we begin to see our sin. I remember the first week that I got saved, the first Sunday that I got saved. The next Saturday, I was outside of the zoo in downtown Savannah, passed out on the street. But it was the first time in my life that I ever had conviction. It was the first time in my life that God showed me this is not my will for your life. And God began to change me. He began to mold me. He began to make me more into the image of Christ. And yet while I'm still in this flesh and I'm still sinful, God is beginning to change me. And I'm beginning to bear fruit. And this morning I want to challenge you to look at your life and begin to see if you have fruit. Or if you've just said, yes, I'm a Christian, I've made a decision, but your life hasn't changed. The Bible says that's not proof of a salvation. That's a proof of a commitment. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might have life, and not only have life, have life abundantly. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I can't help but think, during this Christmas time, as God offers up His Son as a sacrifice for all mankind, of Genesis 22, verse 2, As God told Abraham, take now your son, your only son. You remember the story of Abraham as he desired with all of his heart to have a son of promise in Jesus. God told him that of you I will make a great nation. And here God tells Abraham to take his only son and to sacrifice him. And that morning Abraham and his son walk up that mountain in obedience, it says he left early the next morning. He didn't delay. He did what God called him to do. And he walked up that mountain and he laid his son on that altar. And he got ready to sacrifice his son. But God delivered him and provided a ram in his place. 
God tested this man of faith. And there this man showed his faithfulness in believing that God, yet God's only son, he went to the cross as a sacrifice and he gave up his life. He died on that cross. This is the gift of love, which was offered by the author of love, showing the character of love through the gift, the Son, Jesus Christ, that we might have life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you so that you may know you have eternal life. The author of love, the character of love, the object of love, the gift of love, and now we see the purpose of love. God doesn't leave sinful, stained, separated, unable mankind to itself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A simple passage that brings about a lot of hope. He so loved the world, the only begotten Son, He gave with this purpose, that those who would receive Him with abiding trust, with confidence, with faith, may have everlasting life. The purpose of this wrath in which Jesus endured, listen, was for all of us, for you and for me. It was for us that we might have life when we're going through these trials that we're going to go through, because the Bible says the righteous, they will go through trials. You know, if you ever go to a church and the pastor promises you a perfect life as a Christian, run. Because the reality is, is when you come and Christ comes in you, now you're an enemy of the devil and he's going to work double time on you. So as we go into 2014, we know that we're going to encounter trials, but James says, count it. All joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God's just trying to make you a full person. And you begin to trust in that Jesus and that you may begin to live. You may be experience that joy and that peace and that comfort that only comes from having that relationship with Jesus. Christmas doesn't end with a baby in a manger. It ends with a Savior on a cross. It takes faith in the work of Christ in order to be saved. How can you know that you're saved? My son asked me the other night. As I watched him place his faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. One of the greatest blessings to know that every child that I have at the age of accountability has has accepted Jesus Christ. My wife says, you're going to pray a prayer with him? I said, I'm not going to pray a prayer with him. He told me he believed that Jesus Christ saved him from his sins, and that's how he was saved. I said, there's no reason to pray a prayer. The boy just believed in Jesus Christ. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. But what it does said, he who believes in the Son has life. Listen, a child can understand it. A child can grasp this salvation because he's not infiltrated with the world like adults are yet. 
Listen. If a child can understand it, so can you. The purpose of love, listen, is that you might live. The purpose of love is that God be glorified. The purpose of love is that Jesus be exalted. Just like Nicodemus. Unless you are born again, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know where none of you are this morning. Some of you I do. Many of you I don't. Many of you I've had the opportunity to sit down, even baptize you, go through the prayer of salvation with you as you commit in faith through a prayer that you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the purpose is love that you might be saved. Just like this man, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unless you can look to the king on a cross and believe that Jesus is Lord and able to save you from God, the Bible says you will miss the mark. Because the only way, listen, the only way for you to enter into eternity with God is for you to be perfect. How's that, Pastor? He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. You see that? Jesus became our righteousness. So that when God sees me, he doesn't see Stuart, he sees Jesus Christ. Because I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so when God sees me, he sees me as holy and perfect and righteous because he sees Jesus Christ. And that's where we all have to be. You can receive this gift from God which we celebrate on Christmas. And you can take it. You can trust and believe in the saving work. And listen, all of the things of this world will begin to slowly fade. The things under the trees will become less meaningful to you. Until you really don't care about the tree and about the presence anymore. Then... You will begin to change. God will begin to grow you and mold you more into the image of Christ. What should it profit a man if he gained the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Would you believe that this child which Mary gave birth to was Jesus? That he lived the perfect sin of life? That he hung on the cross? That he died for the sins of all of us? Your sins and my sins, and they was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave, and then he ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says the same way he went up, the same way he's coming down. He's coming back. And I know we say this for hundreds of years, but the reality is, is God is patient toward us, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. One day he's coming back. Listen, either you're going there or he's coming here. It really makes no difference. There is a promise. You will die unless he comes back. And you will stand before the king. And all of us will be judged. And Christmas says, brothers and sisters, here's the gift. God has offered it. Now you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible says you will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for John 3.16. As you tell us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Help us, Lord, 
Unto us a child is born, the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we want to just give you an opportunity for a few minutes. If you